0: Hey, welcome back to Accidental Gods, to the podcast where we believe that another world is still possible and that together we can make it happen. And that phrase has never had more implications than it does in today's podcast. I am Amanda Scott, and I spent the first series of this podcast laying out the basic toolkit that we believe is essential to making conscious evolution a probability. We spent the second series finding people who are using that toolkit to lead the world towards transformation and the more beautiful future that our hearts know is possible. Today's episode marks the opening of the third season, in which I want to begin to lay out a vision for that more than beautiful future. We can't go somewhere we don't have a feel for, and to have that feel we have to let ourselves explore radical alternatives that are a million miles from business as usual. We're recording this during the first wave of the pandemic, and amongst all else this has brought, it has given us time to reflect and to see that great change is possible when great need arises. And with that in mind, I have two guests today. Dr. Jim Garrison is a graduate of Harvard and Cambridge, with a PhD in Theological Philosophy. A lifelong activist, Jim has been President of the Gorbachev Foundation and the State of the World Forum. He was President and Chairman of Wisdom University and is now President of Ubiquity University, which is important because Ubiquity University has given rise to humanity rising, which is the point of today's podcast. One of the key organisers of Humanity Rising is also one of the administrators of Ubiquiti University. Matt Robinson is a connector and relationship builder, an activator and educator, writer, poet, musician, athlete and adventurer, mystic and philosopher, and one of the single most insightful and inspiring people I have had the privilege to meet during this podcast. Matt is my second guest, and as I said, he's one of the key organisers of Humanity Rising. We will explain more about that during the podcast, what it is and how it arose. But if you'd like to have a look as you listen, go to humanityrising.solutions. This is something that has arisen during the pandemic. It's grown out of it, as a response to it, and it feels like the beginning of something essential to the future of humanity. It's the creation of an ecosystem of ecosystems of ideas that can explore the radical alternatives that will create a platform from which the emergence from our hypercomplex system can be created. If Accidental Gods has an intellectual arm out in the world, then this is it. So people of the podcast, please welcome Jim Garrison and Matt Robinson. So, welcome to Accidental Gods, Matt Robinson and Jim Garrison. And Jim has builders in Amsterdam, so we may hear the occasional clatter in the background. And hopefully that will not distract anybody from what we're actually saying. Because Jim and Matt are an integral part of Ubiquity University. And through that, they have created Humanity Rising, which feels to me one of the single most exciting developments that has grown out of the COVID pandemic and may lead us into a wholly different world in the way that we need to go. So welcome, Jim and Matt. And what I'd like to do first is ask both of you a little bit of how you became involved first in Ubiquity University and what it is. So Jim, let's go to you first.
1: Thank you, Amanda. It's a pleasure being here. Uh, I'm the founder of Ubiquity University, and I came to uh, academia through my own educational experience and realizing that the educational systems that we have are positively medieval. Hmm.
0: You did go to Cambridge. You don't get much more medieval. Than
1: that. <laughs> Yeah, and it was a Cambridge man that founded Harvard, where I also went. So I I got uh, the full dose of the medieval educational world uh, in universities that are considered elite. And then I watched as my two sons struggled through school. Uh, My oldest one in particular, who was a very gifted artist, but it was like a square peg in a round hole. And finally, when he was 18, he quit. And I realized that uh, I needed to do something about the educational system. So the founding of Ubiquity was really to design 21st century learning from the future rather than the past. And it needs to be holistic. So it needs to be about knowledge. It also needs to be about self-mastery. It also needs to be about social impact. So learning in the future needs to be about your head, your heart, and your hands. Yes,
0: like Schumacher. Pardon? I, I went to Schumacher, and that was founded by yeah. Satish Kumar, and absolutely head, heart, and hands
1: is core to how yeah, we learn yeah. yeah. And uh, Satish is a good old friend. He actually published uh, one of my books uh, back a couple of decades ago. And um, But I would say the most fundamental transition in education today is the shift away from taking tests for grades and degrees to developing your competencies and skills, uh, most of which are developed outside the classroom and developing competency portfolios to show what you can actually do. And at the heart of that are the soft skills. How do you actually get along with people? So there's a, I would say, a Copernican revolution happening in education, and Ubiquity University is right in the middle of it and at the forefront of both holistic education and uh, the shift to competency-based learning, assessment, and credentialing. And we were going along, uh, Manda, and minding our own business, as it were, and then came the pandemic. Hmm. And we realized uh, very, very quickly that this was an unprecedented event, actually, in human history. It's the first time when virtually everybody everywhere is undergoing the same experience and therefore is in the same conversation. And uh, so we decided that we needed to do something because our entire university, Mm -hmm. our brand, is to take stands, whether that's on climate change, uh, whether that's on on student activism. So here we were in the pandemic. So uh, I started to send emails to my Rolodex uh, and a few others as well, including Matt. And uh, next thing we knew, we had uh, several hundred uh, individuals, heads of various organizations and several hundred organizations that wanted to join Uh, what we came to call Humanity Rising, the purpose of which is to come together in a deep deliberation about how we transform the crisis that COVID-19 represents into an opportunity for human renewal. And I think that the enthusiasm and the overwhelming response that we've received has been an indication of the universality of the concern that people have, uh, the need they have to come together, even within the context, or probably especially within the context of social distancing, uh, to create community uh, online, but not just to hear people say things, but to actually engage in a process whereby you transform conversations that matter into actions Uh, that make a difference. And to say one final word, um, you know, I think this pandemic was actually in part an act of Mother Earth to stop the world, send us to our rooms and tell us to think about things until we could figure out how to behave ourselves better. And the reason I think this has been an essential disruption in human affairs Where for the first time, literally in human history, virtually every economy, everywhere, has gone into shutdown. Never happened before. And uh, we, we need to take seriously that we are standing on the precipice of human civilizational collapse, at the center of which is runaway climate change. You know, there's a growing number of scientists and diplomats that are saying that if we do not, by 2030, change these indicators around, all of which are getting worse, not better, we could forfeit the world as we know it. So the vision of humanity rising is to galvanize a critical mass of leaders and organizations that will come together Consider how we can increase our strategic effectiveness and get out there and and truly give shape to a post-pandemic world that is more sustainable, more resilient, more abundant, more healthy, and more based on ecological harmony. And so we're motivated by a 10-year campaign so that by 2030, we can stand together knowing that we were part of a critical mass of human beings that rose up together and made the difference at an extraordinarily urgent moment in human history and did something that honored our ancestors that have brought us to the present place and more importantly, set the foundation for children yet unborn under the seventh generation that uh, need an abundant and sustainable and resilient and healthy world to be born into and build upon.
0: Brilliant. What a vision. Thank you. So there's so many things I want to ask you arising out of that, but let's go to Matt for a while. So Matt, can you tell us a little bit about your history and how you became involved in Ubiquiti University and then in Humanity Rising?
2: Absolutely. And thanks so much, Amanda, for the opportunity to be here today on Accidental Gods. Uh, In a certain way, I... I'm somewhat of a, a test case for what ubiquity can be. I grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area uh, and my family uh, were practitioners of spiritual work through the Arica School. And that work and uh, helping share the wisdom that I learned there has always been the most important thing in my life. And so in many ways, I've been experimenting with finding opportunities for transformational education for a number of years. I started off at a small liberal arts school called Pitzer College uh, in Claremont, California, which had a social activism uh, lens. And in many ways, uh, the same as Jim's son's, uh, I struggled in the traditional system. And at a certain point, I connected up with uh, a group called Generation Waking Up, uh, which also connected Mm. me to Joanna Macy and the work that Reconnects. Uh, And I had a strong impulse Uh, that the traditional system was not for me, and I needed to seek out other opportunities. And I made my way to a small liberal arts school called Naropa University, which is a Buddhist-inspired school in Boulder, Colorado, uh, and spent six years there, two as a student, uh, four as a staff member, experimenting with what mindfulness, uh, what part mindfulness could play uh, in the field of education. And through uh, a family connection, actually, uh, I was connected with Ubiquity. And as a a funny turn of events, I actually also attended the same high school as Jim's sons, uh, Luke and Zach. So the synchronicity machine emerges. Hmm. Um, But I had a calling to make a life shift, which aligned with the needs of Ubiquity at the time, which were to bring in a director of admissions. And so I started out uh, in the admissions role and worked with Jim very closely, um, also in Sri Lanka to help uh, admit young students to one of our flagship programs, uh, the Foundations and Soft Skills Program, which was a flagship program that brought together The United Nations SDGs and the seven essential soft skills that are needed for a hyper complex world.
0: Can you say what those are?
2: For sure. Yeah. They uh, start off, uh, of course, with teamwork and collaboration, uh, emotional intelligence, leadership, critical thinking, uh, whole systems design, uh, and all of the attendant skills that go along uh, with that. So when you take those soft skills and practice them within the meta context of the sustainable development goals, you really activate people to find their passion in a way that they can be effective in the world. It's one of my favorite quotes. What's the world's need? Mm. What's my passion? And where do these two intersect so that we can find our our vocation? Um, This is related to Parker Palmer's work uh, as well. Uh, And so working in Colombo and uh, eventually on one of our new projects, which is a social learning platform called the Ubiverse. Uh, I moved into an operations role, uh, and it was out of this mix of ingredients in our organization when the pandemic hit that we decided we wanted to be the place uh, to be to have some of these conversations around how do we transform ourselves uh, into a healthy, resilient, sustainable society for a Mm post-pandemic world. Uh, And we had such a large response that I was called to help Jim uh, organize not only all of the speakers, uh, but also, to my privilege, organize the next generation component of this summit, uh, which I would like to talk about too at some point. But we're very excited to have a number of under 35 uh, young leaders from around the world come in and share their vision uh, for the future and what solutions they're working on today.
0: Brilliant. Brilliant. Definitely, we'll come back to that because that feels utterly critical. But I, I'd like to just—I I definitely do want to look forward. But I'm really curious, Jim. Let's go back a bit. When you first considered Ubiquity University, was it going to be campus-based, or was it always intended to have a large online component?
1: Oh, we always conceived of it from the very beginning as online, because it was clear, right, uh, mm-hmm. back then. Uh, that online was the wave of the future. It was just a matter of time, and interestingly right. enough, it's the pandemic that has tipped the scales. Sure. Yes. And because you from have no now choice. On, everything will be online, with in person. I think as an exception.
0: Yeah. I there was a rumor that Cambridge was going to go that way. It was going to teach the whole of twenty twenty one online, and then the medieval university. Sp- Becomes much less medieval. It's going to be very interesting. But so I'm curious, and, and this is a genuine curiosity. I don't know the answer to this question. When we are developing the seven essential soft skills and everything else that we need, it seems to me that a lot of this is, first of all, assessing what you can do. But it's before you can assess what you can do, it's dis- each person discovering for themselves where their strengths are and allowing those strengths to evolve as they mature as human beings. So I'm wondering, are people coming to you slightly older than the average college student? Or have you found ways to help younger people to step into that exploratory phase where they can find out what it is that they're best at, where your heart's greatest need meets, meets the world's greatest desires?
1: Statistically, the demographic that is most attracted to online is 25 to 35 uh, and okay. in part is because they're out into the workplace uh, they have a family uh, and so they have to balance a number of factors and i apologize about this <laughs> this
0: is lockdown we've we've had lots of other things we can still hear so, you it's
1: fine um, uh, but what is interesting, again, about the pandemic is that it's it has upended the educational system as we know it, not only by um, making online inevitable, but really challenging whether these in-person universities that charge vast amounts of money can continue mm, to demand yeah. high tuitions when... The students aren't even at the university. They're taking the courses online. And so the predictions are that the tier one universities like Harvard, like Cambridge, you know, Harvard's got uh, an endowment, I think, of 70, 80, seven to 800 billion dollars. They're going to make it through. And because they're elite, um, they will, uh, you know, stand the test of time. But the Tier 2 and Tier 3 schools are in serious trouble because they're highly leveraged. They've got stadiums, they've got buildings, they've got dormitories, they've got cafeterias, they've got vast classrooms, um, and they still have to keep those up even if the students aren't there. So um, we're seeing a, a, a veritable deconstruction of the educational system as we know it and how uh education will look i would say in three to five years time it will be a completely different world and ubiquity is is been betting on online and competency-based learning assessment and credentialing those are the two mega trends of the future so
0: Competency-based assessments. Can you unpick that for us a little and explain how that actually works in logistical terms?
1: Yes. I mean, when you think of education, normally you think of going to a classroom, taking notes. And the competency that you're judged by is how well you do on the test. Yep. You're compared to other people and you get a numerical grade and then you move on or you don't, depending on the, the uh, level of your grading. The challenge with that is twofold. Number one, the knowledge that you're learning is obsolete by the time you graduate from school. Hmm. And number two, the economy now is moving and shape-shifting so fast that two-thirds of the jobs uh, 10 to 15 years ago do not currently exist. What? What? And two-thirds of the jobs that exist now won't exist in 10 years. That's how fast the economy, technology, wow. and society yeah. are changing. So going right. to Harvard for four years and then to Harvard Business mm-hmm. School for another three years doesn't give anybody what they actually need in a highly dynamic Um, uh, geostrategic situation and job market. So what the uh, corporations are more and more requiring is not a degree. They want to know what you can do. They want to know how well you can get along with others because they've discovered that even if you have a Harvard MBA, that doesn't mean you can get along well with your peers that if you work at Google or you work at Apple or Facebook or Samsung, uh, Toyota, these are all global corporations. They need people who can think out of the box in a collective way and get along with their peers from different cultures, backgrounds, genders, and ethnicities, not necessarily know a lot about the uh, periodic table of elements because you can look that up on your uh, smartphone. So uh, yeah. that's what competency-based learning is about, is what competencies do you currently possess that are marketable uh, toward a job? And at the, at the right. center of that are soft skills. Um, there right. are a, a certain subset of competencies yeah. called soft skills, which are not what you know. They're basically who you are and how well you interact with others around problem solving. That's what a Google wants. That's what a Facebook wants. And um, so uh, we're no longer uh, in a world where degrees, even from elite universities, matter much. And in fact, the one of the senior executives at Google late last year said that the worst people to hire hmm. are the, the yeah. graduates from the Ivy League schools because they have yeah. no intellectual humility. The best the higher.
0: No, they just end up becoming our politicians
1: <laughs> because we don't have a very
0: good way of selecting yeah, politicians yeah, yet. So we end yeah. up with the, yeah, anyway, let's not yeah. go down that road. Um, okay, Matt, Let I'd like to come back to you and I want to talk about the Next Generation Summit. I'm aware that I'm in danger of dragging this podcast into being solely about education because it's so interesting and we do want to move to humanity rising, but just Before we go there, the seven essential soft skills, listening to Jim, listening to you. To what extent are those things that anybody listening to this this podcast with the right help could pick up and really run with? And to what extent are they innate? And also, are we finding a generational difference where, let's say, the millennials or even the people under 30 are more flexible than the older generations? So two questions.
2: That's a great question. I'm I'm happy to share my opinion. I think for a lot of these soft skills that we have the innate seed uh, of their potential to be expressed in our life. You know, these are uh, aligned with our nature as human beings. It's in our nature to be collaborative, right? To have self awareness, to use our creative capacities, and understand our emotional intelligence, uh, but Without the right structure, these seeds don't get nurtured. Uh, and so that's part of the reason why we put together uh, this program, uh, which is uh, to really provide a format and a training for these essential soft skills as it relates to our world today. What difference yeah. does it make uh, if we have leadership capac- capacities? The, uh, ability to understand people's emotional state if they're not being applied in a way uh, that is good for the whole, basically. Uh, so I do. I think they're innate, and I do think that it also needs training.
0: And can I ask a, a sub-question on that Please. before we move to the other one? Is it something that people are generally speaking, their competence across all seven rises together? Or is it that you find that there remain people who will I don't know, be particularly self-aware, but perhaps less competent at leadership, and that we we help them to foster that. Or is it that all seven? I said that is it all seven rising together?
2: It's a really great question. You know, of course, everyone has their own individual strengths. Some people, let's say, are better at public speaking or collaboration, and other people are better at uh, taking a leadership stand. But what we notice is that within this program, which takes an integral approach. Uh, to these seven soft skills, that yes, not only do people uh, see an enhancement across the board in all seven when they work on just one, right? but also, as their soft skills become enhanced, their more, let's say, uh, left brain or hard skills also become enhanced. Oh, interesting. So as they get better at leadership, critical thinking and problem solving, they also become better at things like math. And engineering. It's it's really quite phenomenal.
0: And has anybody done the neuroscience of why that might be the case?
2: It's a good question. We have a current course right now uh, on on the neuroscience of these things. But uh, to my knowledge, uh, I'm sure it's out there. I'm not aware.
0: Okay. At the point when you are, we're going to do another podcast because that would be so interesting. I agree. Um, yeah. I, we had the second question, was which was, is there a generational divide? Are people, let's say, in their 50s or 60s, can they come along, and the soft skills that were really did not exist as things that they learned, we learned, when I was at university, can we come and learn them now?
2: In my opinion, that's my understanding of what neuroscience is saying around neuroplasticity, that throughout the duration of our entire lives, these skills, uh, no matter what age we are, are learnable. Uh, And just like people have different strengths, I think so do generations. For example, uh, the millennial generation and, and those to follow, you know, we're some of the most uh, interconnected uh, and largest mm-hmm. generation to ever exist, having been exposed to uh, technology from a very young age. And so by a predisposition in that way, uh, we may be more prone to things like emotional intelligence, empathy, um, some of these soft skills. Be- Collaboration. Exactly. Sure. Simply because we've been exposed to it at an earlier age.
0: Okay. Thank you. Um, I'd like to talk to you about the the Next Generation Summit, but let's go back to Jim for a little while, depending on the level of um, excitement in the background. And Jim, can you tell us a bit about your process of creating Humanity Rising? Because when we spoke in our pre-podcast talk, you talked me through the process of imagining if you were the world leader for the day. And, I've, and then what you came down to as your one necessary task and how that informed humanity rising. So can you talk to us about that for a while?
1: Yes, I think the the initial impulse was just to be of service uh, so that we weren't just sitting here as victims uh, in the overall scheme of things, but that we were proactively trying to make a difference, uh, even if it's in a very small way. That's my nature. I've always been an activist. I like to get out there into the trenches I want to make a difference uh, with my life. And so uh, the pandemic was no exception. I have a long history of convening. Uh, During the 1990s, I was privileged to work with Mikhail Gorbachev after he stepped down as president of the Soviet Union. And uh, for a number of years, we convened leadership groups all over the world um, within the sort of the tagline of transforming conversations that matter into actions that make a difference, and so when Humanity Rising began to take shape, and we realized, boy, that there's a, there's a huge response coming in. Uh, then I I went through a a couple of uh, thought experiments uh, as I was seeking to discern how how does one shape this now? You know, you're getting dozens, then hundreds of people and organizations wanting to get involved. What do you actually do? And um, one thing is I realized that, you know, we don't have to do a three-day or seven-day conference where everybody comes online and they go in a marathon and then they go home. Why don't we do it every day for as long as the pandemic lasts? So that was the first time that uh, as an old convener and conference organizer from, from many decades, uh, I realized the freedom of having all the time we need to really structure a serious conversation over time. And uh, so that was the first decision. So every day, seven days a week, mm. from 5 o'clock to 7 o'clock p.m. Central European time on our Zoom uh, link and live on Facebook, and it's uh, live on Awake TV, and and there's probably a half a dozen social media platforms that are streaming it live. We're going out to tens of thousands of people every day. And um, we want to continue that open space so that people can really dig in and really ask over time, some very deep questions at the center of which, how do we enhance our strategic effectiveness so that we can actually make a difference in the shape of the post-pandemic world? One of the supreme ironies and, and tragic paradoxes in the world right now is that as the situation gets worse, the leadership in country after country Is authoritarian, myopic, incompetent, Mm. xenophobic, and just plain unconcerned about the human future. And I'm talking about uh, the leadership in the United States, in the UK, in Russia, in China, in India, in Brazil, in Hungary, and in dozens of other countries that one could name, were being governed by pygmies at a moment when we need vision, we need clarity, we need action towards strategic goals that are actually gonna comp- improve the capacity of human beings to stay alive on, on this planet. And so um, that really gave shape to the second level, is, is coming together with a, a focus on strategic uh, effectiveness. Um, and then very quickly, I, I went through another thought experiment. I thought, you know, if I was dictator for a day and I could make one decision about the post-pandemic world, what would I decide? And my first thought was keep all the oil in the ground. Hmm. And then I realized that doesn't, doesn't solve anything. Yeah. That stops a crisis, but the system stays the same. Then I thought, well, how about stopping the deforestation of the Amazon? And again, that stops a crisis, but it doesn't solve anything. And I actually thought for a day, and I thought, you know, what what would, if I could make one decision that would be as transformational as the pandemic, but in a positive way, what would it be? And I realized there's, for me, there was only really one answer, and that is order that within the next 30 days every government and organization on planet earth would be turned over to women Hmm. as executive leaders and that they would lead the world until 2030. And I guarantee you, if we did that, if we can shut down major economies within days and weeks, we can transition leadership to women um, in a, a, uh, a radically, Uh, accelerated way because I believe that the mentality that produced the problem at its heart is patriarchy. Yes. And the men need to get out of the way, turn things over to women and let them lead. And I would say that we've done that in our organization. Ubiquity University is basically led by women. Oh, well done. The chief executive officer, the chief financial officer, the director of operations, creative director, all the major executive roles are are uh, are in the in the hands of women because I believe that women need to be leading at every conceivable level because the men have put us in to a god awful mess. So what we did for Humanity Rising, we started with a big woman's circle, and now for the next uh, nine days, we're having circles of women for every session from all over the world, from every uh, walk of life. And it's been an extraordinary outpouring of vision, pathos, clarity, audacity, and heartfulness. And then on the 1st of June, we're going to transition for seven days and we're going to listen to the next chant. We're going to listen to the youth because it's the youth that inherit the future. And they're going to have to live in the world, uh, for a lot longer than any of the, uh, you know, the mature adults, I would say. Hmm. And so yeah. that's what Matt's leading. Matt's curating yeah. the next gen, uh, discussions for seven days. And we've got an incredible array of, of young people, again, from all over the world, from all walks of life coming together around very serious issues, uh, that he can describe, but it's, uh, Anyway, so then, then we, we open on the 8th, 9th of June to the business of humanity rising. And that is what we're calling strategies for change. How do we increase our effectiveness so that over the next decade, uh, in the context of rising crises mm-hmm. and tumult, because this pandemic is not just an isolated event, it's, it's yeah. coming out of climate change, just like extreme weather events. So we're going into perhaps the most turbulent decade, maybe in the history of humankind. Yep. And we need to know that that's happening, Manda. Yep. And that's one reason why we founded Ubiquity, because we're now no longer in a world of complexity, we're in a world of hyper complexity. Yes. And we're in a world, as Lester Brown says, of a race of the tipping points. Things are getting better and better, worse and worse, faster and faster. Yeah. Yeah, we the
0: singularity. People
1: young people with the, the mindsets and the skill sets and the tool sets and the competencies they need to navigate an increasingly turbulent, hyper-complex world where jobs are disappearing overnight. Hmm. And how do you prepare yourself? So Matt's absolutely right. The millennials and these Gen Zs intuitively are being born with with innate soft skills that, if developed, could make them the most creative and uh, problem-solving generation in history because they're going to need to be that in order to ensure the continuity of civilization as we know it.
0: And then we just need to empower them to be able to do it but let's let's talk about how we might do that later so let's go to matt and matt let's talk about the next generation summit just very briefly i'm assuming that jim's idea of populating everything with women is because they are more likely not guaranteed but more likely to have the seven essential soft skills innately and so what jim just said is that the next generation really does much more likely to have them innately. And so the Next Generation Summit, can you tell us a bit more about the vision behind that and about how it's panning out, how the whole thing is panning out for you?
2: Absolutely. So one of the characteristics that defines our generation is, of course, diversity. And so I don't claim to speak for everyone, but I think, as Jim mentioned, it is obvious that this rising generation of decision makers and Uh, Global Citizens has a very important role to play in this movement to build a more sustainable and resilient planetary society. Um, We are the largest, most connected generation uh, to ever exist, uh, and we bring a fresh perspective and an inspired vision uh, within which we can assess our current situation and uh, work to imbue uh, a vision of the future uh, with our passion and what we would like To live our lives like. Uh, So it's a really fantastic opportunity for uh, young leaders to be featured at the beginning of this summit. As Jim mentioned, we start with nine days of women's circles uh, and move to a week featuring young leaders from a variety of organizations uh, who are working to make the world a better place. Uh, So most of them are under the age of 35 uh, and have taken leadership positions, but not all and their organizations. Uh, We're hearing from organizations such as ISIC, Hmm. uh, Cenergos, MCW Global, the Institute of Aliveness, uh, Force of Nature, City Transformers, uh, on a variety of topics. A lot of them are related to youth-led local leadership uh, in their communities, personal empowerment, health and well-being, uh, as well as really important trends such as green business, uh, climate justice, And one that I'm particularly inspired by, uh, Green Cities,
0: Mm. uh,
2: by an organization called City Transformers. What do our cities look like for a post-pandemic future? And what we hope to do is begin to form the roots of a community that will allow us to reach our 10-year goals. In a certain way, we're building a network of networks. Um, and you know This is getting into the future visioning, but the, the first action that we're going to take uh, is invite all of the participants uh, into a working group to review all of the solutions and perspectives that are offered during this first week uh, and synthesize them into uh, a summary, uh, a product, a representation uh, of the vision that we've laid forth throughout that first week. Uh, and we will represent that to the summit down the road. Uh, and then work together to collaborate around future actions that we'd like to take. Mm. Uh, but it's uh, very exciting. I think that you know connecting with each other uh, with good intentions and trusting that our collective intelligence uh, will bring out the best of us and inspire us with creative solutions uh, to innovate successfully is really the purpose of, of this first NextGen week and overall program. Brilliant. And
0: are you getting any kind of uh, leaders from youth leaders from within any of the spiritual practices.
2: That's a good question. Uh, we have a few, um, but I think that the the realm of spirituality for youth is a really tricky one. Mm. It's something that, if I may, you know, speak universally, is um, uh, tricky for our generation to try and navigate uh, those those forces, and and they do exist. But I see them more as grassroots and popping up, uh, in my understanding, through artistic. Uh, endeavors, as well as activists. So a lot of the activist movement has its grounding uh, in a certain kind of spirituality, a connection to something that's bigger than ourselves, Mm. uh, as well as the creative and artistic realms, which are really a fantastic way to connect to these other aspects uh, of our being. So we do have a number of artists who will be uh, presenting during the first days of those weeks. uh, And we also have an open invitation uh, as the summit Uh, unfolds alongside global events uh, for people to join the conversation.
0: Brilliant. Brilliant. So if anybody listening wants to join, they would find that. We'll talk about the links at the end, but they would find that on the Humanity Rising website.
2: Absolutely. Yep. It's an open call.
0: Brilliant. So we're heading towards the end. I'd like to talk to Jim and then Matt really to get your vision. If this ecosystem that you are creating, which I have to say sounds really, really inspiring, of bringing everybody together, of giving them space to talk, to synthesize ideas, to create something new out of the cauldron of everything that we have at the moment. If we were to look perhaps a year or five years, or if we're very daring, 10 years down the line, where would you hope that we would be? Have you a vision of how the world could be from here? Jim first.
1: I think it's clear that our governments and prevailing institutions are either unwilling or unable to grapple seriously with the crisis at hand. I think that the vision of humanity rising is inherent in our name. Hmm. We believe that the only true solution left as we literally teeter on the precipice of self-destruction, is for humanity to rise up all over the world as one and take the actions that are required uh, to effectuate a better world. Uh, And all kinds of organizations are uh, beginning to uh, do that. In our opening session, for example, we had um, Nicole Schwab from the World Economic Forum and and uh, World Economic Forum has uh, taken an initiative to uh, yeah. curate and plant one trillion trees hmm. um, over the next decade. Uh, that's a significant commitment. You, you plant one trillion hmm. trees.
0: That's a lot of trees.
1: And you're going to probably do more to ameliorate climate change than any other, any other single thing we could do, stabilize the ecology and stabilize the weather. And um, so we're uh, looking, Amanda, through Humanity Rising to bring people together for daily dialogues, to share what we're all doing so that everybody everywhere knows what's going on in the spirit of radical collaboration. And then to come together for mega projects like planting a trillion trees. You know, what is the equivalent by 2030 of putting a man on the moon. Yeah. What do we need to do that is bigger than life, worthy of human nobility, such that if it was effectuated, we would be uh, credited as that generation of human beings that when the chips were down, really made a difference. That's what we want to... That's the aspiration for humanity rising, to work together with like-minded similarly inspired people from all over the world uh, over the next 10 years to make the critical difference necessary to ensure human survival
0: that's it doesn't get any more profound than that really does it so matt it's, it that sounds quite hard to follow but i wonder if you've got any <laughs> any additional things to put into the vision particularly of how young people might have taken over the reins of governance now I'm putting ideas into your hands um what, just tell let's hear what you think about this
2: for sure yeah, yeah jim Jim can be hard to follow sometimes but uh, it's it's always a, a treat to uh, envision uh, along alongside him and and uh for what we're trying to do with this humanity rising summit and I think about this uh, again almost from the perspective of neuroscience it seems to me like there's two phases here. And the first is really uh, walking ourselves back from the edge of extinction. I mean, we think of Extinction Rebellion and these groups that are really working um, uh, to, to keep us on the right track here. And our survival instinct is incredibly powerful and it's being activated right now. And it's a real challenge to bring in the higher capacities of our human being. Uh, To mix with this survival instinct and help let our natural intelligence uh, emerge. And so I, you know, within the next 10 years, I see a continuum of um, a a resolute group of committed humans who have a clear vision uh, working to address uh, the world's biggest challenges on climate change, wealth inequality, governance. Uh, that will then allow for a space of, in some sense, a renaissance, a a huge opening of space and opportunity for humanity and particularly uh, our younger generations to experiment um, with the kind of life that they want to live. Mm -hmm. Uh, And as we progress along that continuum, um, the vision that I personally have, uh, I can't speak for other people, but I love to see uh, all of these different communities popping up around the world that are organizing themselves uh, around uh, any given principles, you know, these, let's say, regeneration or new politics. And I would love to see in the next 10 years, I I can start to see clearly in my mind, uh, not only these communities that are out there, because they already exist, but a network of networks of these communities that are learning from each other, supported by technology, Uh, That is enabling them to experiment more quickly, to pull information around what's working and what's not. Um, And I am no expert on this by any means, but I see a huge, uh, huge possibility for the technologies of personal AI and AI in general, along with VR, Mm. um, helping us to enable these kinds of uh, community experiments uh, for how people can actually live in alignment uh, with natural cycles. And uh, lastly, I, I just want to say that in this age of information, when all things are possible, uh, there also, I, I envision, uh, emerging a North Star. You know, what is the organizing principle that allows us to wade through the hyper-complexity, the immense level uh, and volume? Of data and possibilities that exist. Uh, and so I, I see coming through a kind of integral ethics mm. that helps us navigate uh, the almost unlimited possibilities that uh, technology and and these times are, are presenting to us. And uh, so I, I see that world um, and young people contributing to that, uh, as we've said, through our, our natural inclination and exposure to the kinds of principles and, and characteristics uh, that that way of life requires.
0: That just makes my heart sing so much. That gives me hope. That's so wonderful, both of you, that listening to that feels like there is a world opening up, full of possibility, and with the right people at the helm. So as we close, is there anything else that either of you would like to say in closing? Jim, have you got any, any last pearls of wisdom? Anything that we didn't cover that you think we should have done?
1: Well, you know, a a helpful metaphor for humanity rising in our current situation comes from the Nobel laureate Prigogine, Hmm. uh, who talked about islands of coherence in a sea of chaos. Hmm. And he pointed out that um, in physics, the chaos has an underlying order. And that if you can create a island of coherence in the midst of complete chaos and keep focused on the coherence, the coherence has the capacity at a certain critical point to transform the sea of chaos into a higher order coherence. And I think that's the aspiration of humanity rising and what many, many people and organizations and efforts of goodwill around the world are uh, are doing. We're creating islands of coherence in a sea of chaos. And if we can maintain that intention, no matter what is happening around us, at a certain point we'll reach a critical mass that will cause the entire system to transform um, spontaneously in a better direction. That's my hope, that's my prayer, and that's the way we are unfolding humanity rising.
0: You've just articulated most of the basis behind accidental gods also, and that came from Prigogine. I am so happy to hear you say that, thank you. Um, It's so good to hear somebody else who took the same concept away from that. Matt, anything else that you would like to add?
2: You know, one of the sayings that comes up for me is, what's a revolution without dance? (laughs) <laughs> and so with, with your permission, I would love to share a short poem that I wrote for the summer. Oh, yes, do. And uh, it's called Humanity Rising, A New Story. Coming to you live from shelter in place, a watershed moment for us, the human race. The plan is 10 years to transcend fears. So now watch us rise with strength and grace and pause for the ones that came before leaving wisdom of source, the force, and of course. Seven generations to come, who also deserve air, earth, water, and sun. And so we rise up, all of us together now, back to claim our birthright. We're birds of a feather now, weathering the weather while we all learn to take a bow. With our bodies separate, we bring our hearts together. Wow. And with one deep breath, collective intelligence will arise from the depths. Welcome to the moment we finally arrive. Today day we gather round and help humanity rise.
0: That is glorious. And you've put that to a beautiful video, which I will, with your permission, share in the show notes for everybody so that they can listen to you read that with the video. Would that be okay?
2: Happily. Thank you.
0: Fantastic. Thank you. So thank you both very, very much for your time and for the astonishing amount of work you're putting into this and for the vision Behind it. This is the single most hopeful podcast we've done yet. And I really hope that anybody listening to this is going to head off straight away to the Humanity Rising website and through that to Ubiquity University, because we all need the seven essential soft skills. Um, and just guys listening, take note and go and take part in the events that happen each day. They are genuinely inspiring. And there's a very, very lively chat channel in which you can participate. So this is feels to me very much as if it's drawing large numbers of people from a very wide network, which is exactly what we need. So thank you both. I, I'd really like at some point, maybe six months from now, we'll come back, do this again, and see where we're getting to. Because I think the rate of change at the moment is so fast that by the fall, we will be in a different place. Thank you, Amanda. Thank you both.
2: Thank you, Amanda. We look forward to building the movement together.
0: Thank you. So that's it for another week. Enormous thanks to Matt and Jim for the scale and scope of their vision and the astonishing amount of work that's going into making it happen. Humanity Rising could be genuinely life-changing, I believe. We will put links in the show notes and on the blog. But once again, if you want to head for it straight away, go to humanityrising.solutions. We'll be back next week with another conversation looking at how the future could be different if we let go of the constraints of our existing system. In the meantime, thanks as ever to Caro C for the music at the head and foot of the podcast and for the sound production. Thanks to Faith Tilleray for being the other half of the creative team that is Accidental Gods and for designing the website and managing all of the mind-bending tech That goes with the membership program. If you want to visit our really beautifully designed website, we're at accidentalgods.life. That's where we have the show notes, the blog, and the aforementioned Accidental Gods membership program, which is a structured training designed to bring anyone and everyone to the point where we can take our place in the web of life with integrity, authenticity, and grounding, where we can make the transformation of humanity happen. So if you know of anyone who would like to be active in bringing about the more beautiful world our hearts know is possible, do send them this link. In the meantime, that's it for now. We will see you next week. Thank you, and goodbye.